Hello, welcome to another episode of The Job Pod by Beginning to Discover. My name's Sam Winwood. Thank you so much for tuning into this. Uh, today we're talking about how to become a physicist. Uh, yes, we are talking to possibly one of the nicest and smartest blokes I've ever met called Harry Cliff. So smart, he's even released a book. Um, we recorded this quite a while ago. The book is now out. You should definitely go and get it. It's called uh, How to Make an Apple Pie from Scratch. Really, really interesting. Uh, he explains what that's about near the end of this episode. Uh, one thing I really, really love about Harry is that he comes at this with such an open mind. And uh, if you're at school and considering going down the science route, he clears everything up so well. You can stay in academia, you can go and get a job as a project management or a coder or in research or something. Uh, he's done it all. It's a really, really lovely conversation. So give it a listen and let us know your thoughts at the end. I'd be really keen to hear what you think. Thanks. Hey Harry, how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Good to good to talk to you. Wonderful, cool. Well, thanks for this. I do really, really actually appreciate it. And uh, to kick things off, mate, could you just give us a brief introduction as to who you are and what you do, please? Yeah. So my name's Harry Cliff. I'm a particle physicist. So I um I work on a machine called the Large Hadron Collider, which is this 27 kilometer circumference particle accelerator buried under the ground outside Geneva so I'm one of thousands of people like me who work on this experiment and we're basically using it to try to figure out what the world is made from and answer questions about the beginnings of the universe by smashing particles into each other very hard so that in very broad terms that's what I do. That is crazy that's the type of like how on earth okay that's amazing so how on earth do you get to that point like what's the story so far? I mean, so I mean, I mean, actually, I'm sorry. So I should say, I'm employed by a university, so I'm based at um, okay. University of Cambridge, and there's loads of universities all over the world who are involved in these big projects. But my my route was pretty traditional in the sense that I did physics at school. I was, you know, I enjoyed it. I was good at it, and I kind of got to my uh, sort of the decision about you know what to do at university. And I, I sort of always had in my head that I was going to go on and do physics although there were a lot of other subjects I was quite interested in so it wasn't as easy a decision as all that but then went off to university I didn't really at the time have any particular plans to become a, pro a professional scientist I just yeah. thought oh this is interesting I'll do it for a few years and I'll go do something else mm. afterwards um, but when I got to university I really sort of I guess fell in love with the subject even more because physics at school um, you don't really get into the meat of it properly. And it, it's, there's quite a lot of like learning facts and you have to learn a couple of equations and be able to, you know, do a little bit of problem solving. When, when you get to university, it's a much more sort of intellectually satisfying exercise where you're really given difficult problems that you can spend hours kind of trying to figure out the solution yeah. to. It's a bit like a kind of a complicated sort of crossword puzzle, I guess, you know, in ah. some sense. And the sort of satisfaction I got from solving those sorts of problems and that you get deeper into the science, you learn more and more of the sort of fun stuff like astrophysics and cosmology and particle physics. At least for me, that's the fun stuff. Um, and is that something that you chose when you were at uni because you just discovered that that's the area that you really enjoyed? Yeah, well, actually, I did a degree um, called natural sciences where you actually start off in the first year doing four different subjects. So I did maths, physics, geology and chemistry. So 
a few universities offer courses like Cambridge is one of them there are a few others and the idea is that you kind of get a broad scientific education because a lot of people you go to university thinking oh I want to do this I might you know I had a lot of friends for example who thought I want to do physics at university when they got there they either thought physics was too hard and boring or they discovered that geology was really interesting or some other subject they hadn't even thought of so you got this op option with courses like that to sort of change direction because it's, it's kind of difficult until you get to uni it's quite hard to to know you know what subject you might enjoy at university level what you might just based on what you did at school yeah for sure um, i can imagine and then so when you when you've done your three year uh, physics degree and you've chosen astrology or astronomy or whatever what are the next steps for somebody like what 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 was what was what was your process after that so at the end of my third year i went so cern who are uh, the European Organization for Nuclear Research. They're this big lab out in Geneva. It's where the LHC is, the Large yeah. Hadron Collider. They offer this summer student program. So it's like kind okay. of two, two or three months uh, where young people, about 21, 22, from all over Europe, go out to CERN and do like a mini research project. So you might be working on one of the experiments or you might be doing some theoretical calculation or a bit of data analysis with a project supervisor. And it sort of gives you a bit of a taste of what research is like as a PhD student or as a a researcher you know professional researcher so I was there for about over over the summer um funnily although actually I had a pretty I, I didn't have an entirely positive experience because the person who was supposed to be managing my project wasn't really there a lot of the time so I was sort of a bit adrift I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing and I also at the time didn't know very much computer coding which is kind of like essential for everything that is done at CERN and so really? I was pretty yeah. equipped in so although I knew a lot of physics I didn't have the kind of the language to like attack some of these problems because I hadn't our course at, at least in those days didn't include very much computing why, um, why did you need that why did like this might be a dumb question but why did you need coding like abilities well, so like what I do day to day basically is um, we have this big accelerator. It crashes particles into each other. You get these collisions. Loads of particles go flying everywhere. Yeah. We have these detectors that record um, what happens in those collisions. And the job, my job is basically to analyze huge amounts of these collisions so that this is stored in like, you know, thousands of terabytes of data. Yeah. And what I do mostly is write algorithms that goes through that data and tries to extract signs of new particles or something interesting happening in those collisions that we haven't seen before so Whoa. a lot of it is like machine learning data analysis um you know that kind of thing which all of which you have to basically write code uh on yeah. a computer to, to 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 make that work so coding is like kind of what i do mostly day to day in um, on the research side at least Oh, that is really interesting. I didn't realise that, that I could, because when I think of a physicist, I just think of really smart people in a room, like working, doing equations on a board, trying to work out things like, like that way. But um, I guess that's because I don't come from a science background, right? Um, but that's really cool. Okay, so from the, your internship, hmm. what, was, what was then the next stage for you? Well, so, I mean, actually, having had, like, not such a great time that summer, I got mm. back. So I was doing a four-year course, and I got back in my fourth year, and I sort of had this plan. I was going to apply to do PhDs and become a graduate student. Mm. Um, and I was suddenly like, oh, I don't really know what I want to do anymore, because I hadn't really, which is sort of dumb, because it was just, you know, one experience, and science is huge, and there are probably lots of other things, but it kind of put me off. Right. Um, so I had a kind of year where I thought about doing other things, like I thought about switching to do law, um, and and it, but in the end, I, I eventually ended up uh, going to an open day um, at the lab 
and speaking to this guy who really sort of was really enthusiastic and basically got me kind of re re found my enthusiasm for the for the subject and ended up getting a PhD. So I, I stayed for another three years um, working mm-hmm. on a research degree. So PhD is basically like it's kind of like an apprenticeship to become a scientist. So you're given a, a project by your supervisor and you, you know, you sort of work on that for the for the three years. And the idea at the end of it is you produce a piece of research and, and your dissertation, which is your kind of first bit of work as a, a full-blown researcher wow and are they funded as well how does the funding work i mean I, I don't yeah so phd is yeah. funded usually so usually yeah. you get a, a stipend uh, that covers like your university fees um your cost of living so okay. i mean it's not it's not like so you don't get a huge amount of money but it's enough to live on you don't pay tax on it either so i think this was quite a long time ago now but i did my phd in 2008 and i think i got about thirteen thousand pounds a year which mm. back then was enough to like pay my rent and live, you know, as a student reasonably comfortably. So, you, yeah. you know, not like being an undergraduate where you're having to like, you know, mm. um, do part-time work or whatever to cover your cost of living. So mm. from that point of view, it's, yeah, you're, you're kind of covered in that That's sense. That's cool. Okay, excellent. So you did your PhD and you did your bit of research. Was it in, in anything particular, which was kind of related yeah, so to it was, the Yeah, it's, it's on the same, um, it's on this experiment I work on. So at the LHC, it's this, mm. there's, there's four detectors that, around the ring where the particles bang into each other. Yeah. And the detectors then record what happens. And one of them is called LHCB, mm-hmm. uh, where the B stands for beauty, which is a, a beauty particle is a particular type of subatomic particle that we're interested oh. in. So the PhD, I won't go into the details because it's uh. too much. too much of me me, mate god yeah studying the properties of these beauty particles that get created in the collisions that was what it was about unreal that's so cool so that so that you you did that and then you ended up getting a job out of at cern off the back no so so my actually well my my career path is pretty unusual because Mm. when i finished my phd in all honesty i wasn't really sure i was going to stay in physics um but the what then what came along was this opportunity. So the Science Museum in London at the time were planning an exhibition about Large Hadron Collider, and they had a, the director of the Science Museum knew my boss at, at the lab, and basically between them cooked up this idea of having a one of the, a physicist who would work partly on this exhibition at the Science Museum and partly do research at, at the LHC, and so I ended up getting that position. So I spent. In the end, it was only supposed to be for three years, but I ended up spending seven years doing this half and half role where I was half the time in London working at the Science Museum, doing kind of, you know, exhibitions, public engagement uh, and talks and all kinds of things. And then the other half doing research at the lab. So I'm a bit of a weird hybrid of a sort of science communicator and um, and, a, and, a, and a professional physicist. That, that is really interesting, though. Like, how was it working at uh, the Science Museum? Oh, it was great fun. It was, yeah. I mean, I still... I'm still sort of affiliated with them, but yeah, it was a great place to work. You kind of just, I mean, it's such a contrast between the research, which is kind of, you know, very much like kind of analytical, logical kind of work. And then sort of working at the science museum is completely different. You're sort of surrounded by all kinds of different people, curators, designers, you know, um, so yeah, the the science museum side, I mean, both both sides, I think complemented each other really well because, but they were very, very different. Yeah, I was going to say, they they sound complete like a very different uh like day-to-day as well but equally like really really interesting as well um that experience seems quite unique and Mm. wicked but what um if you were uh, a kind of if you just completed your phd in physics in a particular 
field of research hmm. do most do most people just go into a lab or would most people choose to go into this, a place like the science museum and do the, that particular job um guess what my question is is like what other options could they do like what route do most people go down yeah i mean i, I mean i say degree even even undergraduate degree but also a phd in physics gives you a huge amount of opportunities to do loads of different things so mm. yeah if you stay in research in sort of academic research the usual route is you apply for postdoctoral positions so these are usually like two three year short-term contracts and you usually move around so you might go to another university or another country work with some different people, get some different experiences that you had in your home institution. And then the usual career path is if you want, if you decide you want to be a, 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 physics, a physics researcher forever, uh, then you'll do a few of those and hopefully then get a permanent academic position, which is the, the entry level is lectureship. So you become a university lecturer, you would then do research, but also teaching at university. Um, but a lot of people don't end up so one of the one I suppose one of the tough things about academic research is that there are a lot of PhD positions available. There are quite a lot of postdoctoral positions available, but then there are a very small number of lectureships available. So there's this like funneling effect where a lot of people don't get to the point of having a permanent post. So there's a kind of thing that happens to people usually in their like when they're around 30 or in their mid 30s, where they either think they decide. I'm going to leave the field because I'm not going to get a lectureship or, you know, because they are very, very competitive, but that they still then that's the sort of academic route, but people who leave at that point still have, you know, great career prospects because they've got all these skills like, you mm. know, computing data analysis, particularly in physics, but in other areas of physics, you'd have much more technical hands-on sort of engineering style skills. So you, you're very employable. A lot mm. of my colleagues go off and work in like data science or in, yeah you know, finance using their, you know, the sort of data analytics skills they've got to make lots of money, <laughs> and which you don't generally do in in, in academic research. No, um, it's, it's a big, that's a big world, isn't it? Data science and data analytics, and particularly in tech companies these days, quirky. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, that's so interesting. Okay, cool. So um, just going back to CERN and what it's like at the LHC, um, when we touched upon it briefly, um, but the different positions like they can't just surely there can't just be one physicist uh like everybody's the same like i'm sure there's like a variety of different uh physicists in in the lab at one point right could you just go into a bit more depth about how it's kind of split up if that's cool yeah i mean so there's i mean cern research because these projects are huge so the experiment i work on has now about 1400 people working on it so there's a massive oh. collaborations international collaborations. so you've got a lot of specialization so mm. the people like me who mostly do data analysis um plus the science communication stuff but i'm a bit of a weird one from that respect but then you've got people <laughs> who are much more, much closer to the physical hardware of the experiment so people who are sort of a lot of people who start off as physicists but then effectively become electronics engineers or you know engineers in general. So a lot of people who build the these these are huge you know physically you know massive experiments. So there's a lot of hardware expertise, um, okay. and then also off the experiments you've got people who work on the accelerators, who work on magnets. So there's a there's a range, um, and, and then there are people who are sort of really good at the kind of cute, the the software aspect and write a lot of the software that runs the experiments. So there's kind of a, a kind of continuum of people who are. Uh, sort of more software engineers people who are more electronics or or you know mechanical engineers and then people like me who are sort of I guess what you call 
an analytical physicist or something. So yeah. someone who's a physicist, but mostly analyzes data. Oh, that makes so much sense as well. It honestly does. But does everybody come from a physics background? No, not necessarily. So a lot okay. of people do, but a lot of people come from um, CERN offer like technical training as well. So people who come through the engineering route, if you, you have a lot of engineers at CERN, because these are enormous machines that are being mm. built. So a lot of the people who actually work on the accelerator itself are, you know, trained engineers rather than physicists. Um, <clears throat> so, but yeah, so there's, you've got people who do, you don't have to come in through the academic physics, you can come in from electronic engineering or, or mechanical engineering and various other routes as well. Yeah. Ah, so if you were to come in from, sorry, stop, stop me if I'm asking too many questions, but like to, if you were to come from a physics background and get a job at CERN, for example, could you, how likely is it that you could go down one of those kind of, I've just written a few down, like the hardware route, the electronic engineering route is it likely that you could kind of transfer and learn those skills yeah i mean i mean usually the way i see it happen with my lab at least is people join as phd students and it depends on what project they come to do so my project as a phd student was more on the analysis so i've sort of tended to stay in that area and also it was also what i was more interested in but there are some people who are more interested in you know building physical bits of kit and, and they're still coming in as physicists but then during their phd they learn a whole load of you know engineering skills basically and then often usually in fact they'll then stay working in the hardware um area so it, you can kind of get that during your phd just in terms of which way you decide to go and of course you can switch you know once you've you might have been working as a you know working on analysis for a few years but then you might decide i want to learn some hardware and you can go off and then start helping on a project to build some bit of kit so there's possibly ah. yeah you can flip between the two you don't have to and there are people who do both who do both you know hardware stuff and and sort of more analysis anal- analysis uh, stuff yeah no, that makes that makes total sense um so here's another another kind of industry-wide question really are there other places like cern for example like where you could go as a physicist not necessarily nuclear focused or kind mm. of what other places could you go into yeah i mean well there's huge range just physics i mean I, so I work in particle physics which is just one part of physics and there's yeah. you know all kinds of other areas um i mean say say you're a you know an astronomer or an astrophysicist mm. there are a huge range of different universities and institutes you can work at um, if you're a particle physicist, even in the UK, there are lots of big laboratories. So, I mean, you, you can either basically be based at a university lab or you, or there are like national laboratories, CERN, a bit like CERN in the UK as well. So there's a place called the Rutherford Appleton Laboratory near yep. Oxford, which is where a lot of like the UK's major physics facilities are. Um, but the, the same is true all over the world. So you kind of you have a huge range of options in terms of where you work, because most good universities will probably have a department that does the sort of physics that you want to do so you've got a lot of freedom to move all over the place if that's what you want to do and there are also big laboratories you know a lot of say you're an astronomer there are these a lot of astronomers work on these big telescope projects which are a mm. bit like CERN in the sense that you have lots of universities collaborating together because they're so big you couldn't build them like just as one university group um so you might you you might work at a university say in Birmingham but your telescope might be in Hawaii and you might be going out there you know to do observing kind of for, you know long nights yes. You know, which quite, sounds quite fun um so yeah, yeah. There, basically there's a lot of uh there's a huge range of options and places you can be yeah wow that's interesting okay man well this uh, my next question is more about um you and why particle physics for you yeah i mean i think it's to do with the sort of questions i was always interested in which is i mean particle physics basically 
asks the most fundamental questions you can ask in science. So if, if you keep asking why, eventually you get to particle physics. So like, you know, <laughs> like, what is this table made of? You know, if I go deeper, what do I find atoms? I go deeper. And it's basically about trying to find the most basic ingredients that make up the universe and the most fundamental laws that describe how our universe evolves. And it, it helps you, you know, in principle, we're trying to understand questions like, how did the universe begin? Mm-hmm. Why is there matter in the universe? What is the universe made from? So these are like the biggest questions you could ask in science. And I've always been a- a- attracted to those sort of big questions, I think, basically. And the sort of, there's a sort of romance to it, I guess, that you're sort of solving the mysteries of the universe. Yeah, you know, yeah, sort of, yeah. No, so. I t- totally get that. And um, it's very similar to, I mean, it's, I was, I was reading, I think we spoke about it yesterday on the phone. We spoke uh, about Stephen Hawking's book, um, hmm. yeah. Brief History, the Brief brief answer to the history of time well am i, I forgot that There's right two, yeah the yes. brief history of time which is the one who made him famous in the 80s and then i think is it brief answers to big questions <laughs> I've, I've just had to make i've just put them both together there haven't i um <laughs> yeah so clearly haven't finished that yet but um we're getting there um but it is fascinating it's like it's um totally different to what i'm used to and i do, I do it kind of blows my mind what you guys are up to in places like that it really really does um my 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 next question though is how do, I'm going to have to word this correctly. If you were a graduate now, what advice would you give yourself, knowing everything you know? <laughs> well, I guess I mean if I, was, if, I was, if I was just finishing my degree, I think that the big the most important piece of advice, if you're thinking of going into research, mm. is when you are sort of choosing where to do your PhD make sure that you kind of get a sense of well the most important choice you can make is who your supervisor is so who is the person who's going to like basically manage your research during your phd because Mm. that relationship is really really crucial in terms of like the idea you want a supervisor who's going to be you know a good mentor but also has good ideas for projects to work on because that can really set you up for your career after that um so it's, it's good to like really try and make an effort to get to know when you're going to sort of open days and things talk to the the students and the staff and try and get a sense of what the group is like what the the academics are like yeah what, and, and and choose it on that basis i would say um because if, if you get that right then that will you know make your kind of career uh it, it's, it's, it's it will give you a much better start off in your career i think so that that's really key and it's something as an outsider when you're kind of not really sure how research works it's quite a difficult thing to f- figure out but it's it basically requires you kind of going around and really talking to people in the same way that you know when you apply to university you probably go to open days and talk to people and get a sense of the place you might want to make sure that you're making a sort of informed decision definitely i think overall though a degree in physics can open up so many doors you've got that option to stay in academic academia really and you can go in and go and do research you can equally it teaches you a lot of kind of data and analytical skills which you can probably take on to like an like other jobs like in a i don't know in, in a bank or becoming a software engineer or something like that right mm-hmm. um but uh if you're a true scientist i guess like yourself you 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 uh you'd want to stay in in that kind of field wouldn't you and just well, I think, I mean, one thing I would say is that although, yeah, you know, we're, we're sort of trying to answer these big questions in principle, what, it, what each of us does on a daily basis is like a tiny little step mm. towards it. So, I mean, 
there's a lot of like you know quite mundane stuff although it sounds i mean it don't give you the sense we're just sitting there like pondering you know the great mysteries all the time <laughs> no. it's not really how it works there's a lot of like debugging code that keeps crashing and you can't figure out why so uh, like uh, that yeah. that's mostly what the day job is like so yeah. there's but i suppose what drives it all is that curiosity about wanting to find out more about the world and it, it that's one of the reasons actually i do science communication so much because it means you don't lose sight of that goal because if you're continually telling the public you know why we're doing this it reminds you this is what we're focused on even if the day-to-day reality like any job there's quite yeah. a lot of, like you know just sort of drudgery basically yeah yeah for sure no that's i, I should really ask like what what what's the what are the best and worst parts about the job but i think you may have answered that are there any other best parts about it which you really enjoy and any other bits that people should be aware of just coming into this yeah i mean i suppose the, the best moments i guess are well, I mean, being at CERN itself and seeing the machines is just, a spe- in terms of a spectacle, is an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the real satisfaction comes from when you finally do solve a problem and you get some results. And, and you know, that, 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 that is very satisfying. Um, I suppose the worst parts of the job are probably not the job itself so much, but the way academia in general is structured. It, okay. It's quite an uncertain existence when you're in your early stages of your career. You, you never really know how long your job's going to last for or kind of where the next job's going to be. Um, and so you have to be quite comfortable with uncertainty and I guess also be open to moving around and that kind of thing. Um, so it's not so much a problem with the job itself as it is with, and that's true, not just in physics, but in, you know, more or less all academic um, disciplines. It's just the way that our, our system is structured. Um, mm. which is not always ideal but you know if you're comfortable with not necessarily knowing where you're going to be working next year then you'll be, you'll probably be fine <laughs> fair enough fair enough I like that um awesome okay I guess I could ask questions about the LHC and what to exp- like is there anything coming up up and coming like what's exciting like <laughs> um are you allowed to say like oh my yeah, god we're, um, we're on the brink of discovering time travel or something like <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice um no probably not but at the moment it's um it's been an interesting period because like the machine started running 10 years ago yeah i don't know there was this particle discovered called the higgs boson which was a pretty big deal that happened back in 2012 um but since then we've not found anything new we know there are loads of big questions about the universe we don't have answers to but so far the machine hasn't we haven't discovered anything beyond the particles we already know about so there's this kind of this moment we're in this anxious moment at the moment basically where we don't know whether we're going to find anything new and there are some interesting hints that we might be about to discover something um Mm -hmm. which a lot of which come from my experiment so it's quite an interesting time but we we're not in a position yet to say fair enough whether whether it's going to turn out to be a real effect or, or some sort of experimental effect that we've misunderstood so we'll have to wait and see but yeah i can't wait i can't wait till you teleport teleport there and teleport back it's going to be great teleportation i would save a lot of that would save a lot of time <laughs> and carbon dioxide if we could do that that'd be great imagine wow okay um mate well uh i want to ask you one last question and it's about your book do a t- tell us about your book because i can't believe you're an, you're also an author which is amazing um you you you're, you're about to publish a book right yeah so next next august i've got a book coming out um which is basically about um the questions that we're trying to answer in particle physics and in cosmology and it's called how to make an apple pie from scratch which is uh, basically it's inspired by a quote by an american astrophysicist it was sort of like the brian cox of the 1980s called carl sagan mm-hmm. uh, which is if you wish to make an apple pie from scratch you must first invent the universe 
So it's sort of the idea that if you take an apple pie and you're trying to figure out what it's made from and where it comes from, you basically have to go right the way back to the Big Bang. And it, so it's sort of like a, a recipe for an apple pie, but taken to ludicrous extremes. So it, it kind of asks these questions about, you know, where do atoms come from? Where do the basic particles that make up our universe come from? How did the universe begin? And it goes right back as far as we can to sort of a tiny fraction after the Big Bang and, and sort of asks, you know, will we ever know how the universe began in other words will we ever know how to make an apple pie from scratch so it's um that's wow. like what is it like 10 months time or something so yeah. that is so exciting that's, that is so that is so cool i'm gonna buy one um, can you sign it for me please and i'll, I'll be I like think, I, th I, I imagine i'll get sent a big like a load of boxes to sign so yeah i'm sure there'll be some available <laughs> oh, amazing oh dude well um Thanks so much for tuning into that, guys. That was Harry Cliff, the physicist from CERN. Uh, super, super smart guy, but also really, really lovely. Check out his book, uh, How to Make an Apple Pie from Scratch. Uh, I'm going to go and buy it right now. Uh, if you've got any questions, uh, get in touch. My email is sam at beginningdiscover.com. I'd love to hear from you. And please remember to like, share, subscribe, do all that social media stuff for us, and just pass it on to your friend who might be considering going down the science route. Uh, this might help them. Thanks.